Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, everybody. It's Melissa. I'm back, and uh, it's our first listener stories episode. I came up with this idea because there was some stuff that I really think is relevant to talk about, certain topics that uh, I think a lot of autistic people and neurodivergent people in general can relate to and that are important, but I feel like sometimes I don't have a lot of personal experience with these things, or maybe, you know, I do have a little bit of experience, but I'm just curious about other people's experiences as well. So I thought this was a way to sort of uh, switch things up a little bit and hear from some of the people who listen to this podcast and sort of let you guys have a moment to share your things too. So uh, this episode is on addiction and I'm going to read a few emails. I ha- I got several that were really good and it was really hard to narrow down which ones I wanted to, to use and uh, I just... I wish I could read them all, <laughs> but so thank you everyone who sent one in. I did read them all, um, and I will email all of you guys back. Uh, a little bit of housekeeping to start off with. If you follow on Instagram or if you're a Patreon subscriber, you know that I started making, oh, that's just my autism mugs, coffee mugs. They're really cute. Um, I decided to make mugs because I feel like they're a universal thing that kind of everyone likes and everyone uses. Um, I know I did a t-shirt, like a brief t-shirt sale, uh, a while back and that was, that was cool, but I just made it, you know, for a a couple of weeks that I had those for sale, but I think I'm going to keep the mugs up for a while, um, and just see how the sale of those goes. I got one for myself. I really love it. And, um... Yeah, thank you guys for for supporting and for everyone who's bought one so far. Uh, the podcast, you know, started as just me sort of venting about my feelings and talking about my my process, but you know, it's sort of grown and it does kind of take a a little bit of time and and effort, or sometimes a lot of time and a lot of effort <laughs> to keep it going and. Uh, it's even though I didn't start doing this to get compensated, um, it does kind of feel nice to have a little bit of comp- compensation for the work that I put in. And so I really appreciate you guys, um, supporting in that way. Uh, if you can, I understand that not everyone can, and that's totally fine too. So anyway, um, another small housekeeping item is that I am going to be speaking at the GRASP virtual conference. Uh, GRASP is the organization that actually gave me my, um, autism evaluation and diagnosis. 
Uh, they're a really great organization. I've mentioned them several times in the podcast, but I guess they're doing a virtual conference on June 7th and they asked me to be a speaker. So I'm going to be talking a little bit about the podcast and uh, a little bit about my own journey. So I will have more info on that soon. Um, and I will definitely um, be posting about it on Instagram and I'll let my Patreon subscribers know. If you don't follow on Instagram, go follow because I do post a lot of updates on there and stuff when when things are happening. So if you want to be in the loop, that's where you go. Um, yeah. All right, let's get into our first email. It says, hi, Melissa. I don't feel like I'm the best speaker on this, but thought I'd share my experience with alcohol use and autism. Overdrinking actually led me to discovering I'm autistic because my reasons for drinking were atypical. I was a mostly responsible drinker in my 20s, then in my 30s I would have periods on and off that my relationship with alcohol was unhealthy. A couple years ago I was in an online support group for people looking to reduce alcohol use and had Zoom meetings in a small group. My peers and the coach were funny with oddball humor. They were patient, curious, and supportive, which gave me the space to talk more about myself, more openly than I normally do. Most people listed one or two reasons for why they drink. I had five, but the most perplexing one was when my mind was overwhelmed, what I now see was overstimulated, which my peers couldn't exactly relate to. In the meeting, I described it as TV static that slowly built up during the workday and multiple things would make it feel overwhelming, and drinking beer after I stopped for the day would help turn it back down and help me regulate since alcohol is a depressant and turns down sensory things in my brain. This became part of my routine, and liking routines, I drank beer almost every evening because it became familiar even when I wasn't overwhelmed. Of course, sometimes I would overdo it, but many nights it was only one or two beers, but those one or two beers felt really important to me. I dug more into why I felt overwhelmed, realizing not everyone got overwhelmed so easily, and basically stumbled across autism stuff on social media and realized my triggers were things autistic people talked about. As far as social anxiety, I often didn't need alcohol to have confidence to talk to people at a party, but for sensory issues like sound, people in my bubble, and it also made me hopeful I would end up talking to someone who was interesting. Also, I was really into craft beer, so that kind of gave me a script to talk about, and I now realize I told people a lot of facts about beer and thought it was a normal conversation. Oops. (laughs) Additionally, I have the autistic trait of not always recognizing my emotions, excuse me, and basically would drink at home because I didn't know what I was feeling and thought I was dumb that I didn't know what I was feeling or was too overwhelmed to make a decision to do something else. And drinking would put me back into my easily approachable routine of beer slash pizza slash Netflix or music and social media loops. Doing okay now, basically what helps me the most is getting more rest and pausing between activities and developing other relaxing routines. I couldn't find the resource, but I remember reading autistic people are way less likely to drink alcohol in the first place, but if they drink, they are seven times more likely to have unhealthy drinking. Also, as a public health student, I find all of this stuff super interesting. Thanks for doing an episode on ASD and addiction. You are welcome, and that 
is a good story and relatable to me in a few ways, which I won't go into right now. I will talk a little bit about my own experience at the end, a teeny tiny bit. Um, Okay, next email. Okay, this one says, Hi, Melissa. I never had addiction to drugs or alcohol, but rather to a feeling through a term that I just learned called limerence. I hope I'm saying that right. I'm not sure if there's any connection to autism or neurodivergence because based on what I've read, it may not be limited to neurodivergence. Based on my experience, it's when you have a really strong, almost obsessive feeling for another person. It doesn't necessarily have to be romantic feelings, but you just feel a really strong connection to someone and you either really want to be just like them or you really want them to like you or both. In the past for me, limerence happened when I found that a person would give me a very certain type of attention or maybe we share enough in common interests for a bond or connection to be made. It puts you in the state of mind where you think the bond is a lot stronger than it really is. I believe this happens because you create a fantasy story in your mind of how you think things will play out, when in fact, it's not even close to the reality. You think about them 24-7 and idolize them. You start to crave and prioritize time alone to be with your thoughts so you can fantasize about being with that person. The fantasies could be sexual or non-sexual. Your mind can take you wherever you want to go, so it can give you these feelings of euphoria. It becomes an obsession, but once you lose limerence for someone, or are rejected by your limerent, you feel super depressed, low energy, empty, and like you're missing something in your life. It's really painful. So you're constantly trying to find the next limerent so you can feel those euphoric feelings again. I don't know a ton about it as I just learned the term recently, but my mind is blown that there's a name for it. It brings a lot of clarity as I experienced a lot of this in my younger years. Even though I would become obsessive about a person, it never got to the point where I would stalk them or anything like that. Everything took place in my mind and thoughts. In adulthood, I still have tendency to fall in limerence, but I can now recognize it and recognize it happening before it gets out of control. Have you heard of this? This person asks. Um, I have not heard of this, and I definitely haven't heard of the term, uh, but it's very interesting. I feel like um, I could do an episode on this, because although I've never had this limerence experience or feelings quite this intense, I do recognize... Um, a milder form of this in myself in the sense that I do get quite excited about certain connections with certain people um, and have in the past become, um, I wouldn't say obsessive about certain relationships, but um, probably overly enthusiastic and and the relationship was more important to me than it was to the other person. So um, I have experienced this, but not to the intensity that that this person or people who have this feel it, it sounds like um, it can kind of take over your your life. And it's really interesting. It does sound like an addiction to um, the feelings that a relationship can give you. That's super interesting. And I do wonder if this is related to neurodivergence at all. Um, I'm curious to know if any other listeners feel this type of thing or have felt this in the past. Um, 
reach out and let me know uh, because this is this is an interesting topic to me. I'm I have to research this a little bit more. So thank you, person, for writing this in. It's really really interesting. Um, okay. And this one is going to be the last one I read. This one is a little bit longer, but it has a lot of really good stuff in here. So I thought I would share this one. This one uh, comes with a trigger warning for drug abuse, eating disorders, abusive relationships, and suicidal ideations. So just a warning there. This one says, Hi, Melissa. I am submitting my experience to your podcast about the topic addiction, which I have a lot of experience with. I would actually say that I've had an addiction to something my entire life, or at least as long as I can remember. Before I get into my story, oops, my page just jumped down. Sorry, computer spazzed out. Okay, before I get into my story, I do want to say a huge thank you for hosting your podcast. Oh, (laughs) You are welcome, person who wrote in. Um, She just goes on to tell me how great I am. Thank you. I appreciate that. I am glad you're loving the podcast. Okay, but I'll skip over all that. Okay. Uh, She says, or they say, sorry, she. I think we'll figure out that this is a... Is this a woman? Hang on, let me scroll to the bottom. Oh, okay. This person has they, she pronouns. Okay. I will use they because I always uh, default to the more queer option that people give me because I just feel like that's (laughs) how it should be. Uh, Okay. Sorry, I lost my place. All right. The email goes on. They say, okay, I'll start in chronological order from where I think my addictive personality started. I was diagnosed with anorexia when I was about 13 years old, but I remember struggling with my relation to food since before the age of 10. I remember focusing a lot on my appearance and therefore my body ever since I was a young kid. I didn't know that I have autism until the past couple of years and I'm 28 years old today. So when I look back at my life and my addictions, I can see that with having autism, it definitely helped my sort of chaotic brain to have one thing to focus on. In parentheses, parenthetical, not saying everyone with autism has a chaotic brain, by the way. Just saying that's my experience with my autism along with everything else I deal with. It didn't help my addictive personality to have parents that essentially glorified eating eating disorders, sorry, and were not emotionally healthy, nor were aware of what I was going through. Yes, I recognize that they were just doing the best with the tools that they had at that moment, and their behaviors and words actually seemed to perpetuate my pull towards addiction. Yikes. Going back to having anorexia. Even though I was restricting food and only eating about three to 400 calories per day, oh my gosh, I can see now that I was absolutely addicted to food. I was addicted to thinking about food as it was on my mind constantly, seriously, all day. I also was absolutely addicted to my body image and body image in general. It was a really sad, difficult way of seeing the world. Anorexia stayed with me for a few years, and then when I was about 19, it morphed into bulimia. Though my anorexia was beyond difficult and painful to deal with, the bulimia I then had was even more painful and difficult. 
My addiction to thinking about food became even more intense, and it was all I could think about. I was absolutely obsessed with thinking about food. While at work, all I could think about was what I wanted to eat, and then what I would force myself to eat when I got home. Usually a leafy green salad with no dressing. After eating the salad, though, is when the binge would come, and then the purging, and it was horrific. I would binge and purge over and over and over. It wasn't planned. In fact, every day I would tell myself that I would no longer binge and purge. But every single day, after only eating a salad for the whole day, I eventually caved and felt that I couldn't control myself. I would binge on thousands of calories in 10 minutes. Then I would feel so sick with so much food in my body that my back hurt and I would go to the bathroom and purge it all up. Then I'd do it over again and again and again. Oh gosh, I need to take a deep breath right there. I am so sorry that this, that you went through this, uh, eating disorders. I can just imagine that it is a nightmare. Okay. They go on to say, after a couple years of that and being scared that my stomach would burst or that something else would happen to me, I eventually asked for help, but was just laughed at. I then knew I needed somehow or needed to somehow help myself. I searched online and found different resources on how to stop binging and purging. There was one YouTube channel in particular with a person recovered from bulimia and I followed her instructions. The first step was to stop allowing myself to purge altogether. So I just focused on that for a while. It didn't mean that the binging would automatically stop. In fact, it kept going for a while, but I needed to at least stop purging and I needed to start the process of recovering, taking the first step. I also had to work on learning to love and accept my body and all bodies at any shape or size. That was a crucial part of my recovery from bulimia and eating disorders in general. So after a few months of not allowing myself to purge and learning to love my body and all bodies at any shape and size, I slowly started to binge less and less. I also started to think about food less and less, and I cannot even express how much of a relief that was. I started to allow myself to eat whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, and that definitely helped get rid of the binging because I was finally giving my body the nutrients it needed. Going back a little again, I remember that when I asked for help from my bulimia and got no help, I sat in my bed and sobbed and begged for someone, something, anything to take away my obsession for food. The thing I wanted most in my life at that point was just to stop thinking about food all day. No pun, in, no pun intended, but the obsession was eating me alive and killing me inside. And miraculously, I somehow got my wish, but it took a lot of time and a lot of hard work, a lot of persistence, and a lot of encouragement from myself. I suddenly found myself without my food addiction, but it didn't mean that I was not prone to developing another one. And soon after recovering from bulimia, I met a person who I fell in love with and who I ended up dating and living with for four years. But my love for them was honestly more of an obsession. And now when I look back at that time, I recognize that I was actually addicted to my then partner. This might explain why we broke up. But during the relationship, I remember feeling panicked whenever my partner had to leave our apartment. That means I would have a panic attack every time they needed to go to work, hang out with friends, work on their hobbies, and sometimes even when they had to walk our dog. 
I absolutely recognize now that the dynamic we had in that relationship was very unhealthy, definitely from my end, at least. But yes, I was absolutely addicted to my partner, a person, a fellow human being. I was addicted to being around them, so much so that I literally could not handle them being away from me for any amount of time. That was extremely beyond unfair for them and a lot of unrealistic pressure that I put on them. I've had to do a lot of work forgiving myself for doing this to another human human being, someone who I said I loved and who I truly did love, but my actions did not get that message across. After losing them and that relationship, I felt very lost. We were supposed to get married, have kids, and be together for the rest of our lives. I had to move out and find a new place to live. After moving a few times, due to not getting along with roommates, I found what I thought was the perfect house and met someone who lived in that house, my then roommate, who I seemingly had a lot in common with. I started to spend a lot of time with them. Since we lived together, and this was during the pandemic, we had a lot of dates in the house's TV room and in their bedroom. This caused us to get to know each other fast. I was still experiencing heartache from my last breakup and felt a hole inside of me needing to be filled since my obsession with my last partner could not live on. At this time, I still didn't recognize that I had an addiction to my last partner. I wasn't even aware of the hole I felt inside of me, but I definitely felt it and knew something inside of me was off. So I became attached to this new person very quickly. Just a few months after I met this new person, I found out that they were an addict and that they were currently using. The drug they were addicted to was heroin. I became afraid as I had never done any drugs or substances in my life at that point, besides marijuana and alcohol, maybe some mushrooms too, but definitely not any hard drugs. I had a feeling that it was dangerous for me in particular to be around an addict as I knew that I have an addictive personality. I moved out quickly after learning about this. I had planned to separate myself completely from them and I had planned to not talk to them again, but they somehow reached out to me even after I had blocked them on everything. I think they made a new phone number on an app and just texted me. They love-bombed me, which I wasn't aware of at the time, and I believe they really cared about me and wanted me. So while living in this new house, I started seeing this person again. They had told me that they were clean and I believed them. I still don't know if they were at the time because they never used around me, but I knew that they hid their addiction in previous relationships and I don't see why they wouldn't have done the same with me. Anyway, I was in a very, very horrible place mentally. I still was grieving my past relationship. I felt lost and extremely depressed. I was so, so down every single day. I just tried to deal with it, but eventually I had a few days where life felt even harder. There wasn't really much going on on the outside, but inside my body, inside my mind was complete turmoil. It was a horrific feeling. Horrific. I was very vulnerable at that time and began to feel suicidal. During those days, I couldn't stop thinking about ending my life or just wanting to not experience anything. I knew that it wasn't an option to go through with suicide, so I looked for solutions. I then thought that I would much rather do drugs and be alive than kill myself. I knew I didn't want my family to have to deal with my suicide, and I didn't care about anything in life at that point, much less myself. So I asked that person I was seeing if we could get high together. It took a little while to convince them, but they sort of quickly said yes. This is when my addiction to heroin began. 
I thought I would just try it once and see if it would help me live my life comfortably after that. But I didn't think at all about how addictive that substance is. One time turned into using every day, multiple times a day. And not much later, this person I was seeing had another substance they wanted me to try. I said no initially. I said that I didn't want to risk a horrible side effect because I was on psych meds and was already afraid of the heroin interacting with my meds and was even more afraid of adding another substance into the mix. They assured me that it was safe, that nothing would happen to me, and they said I would really like it. So I gave in. This substance was crack cocaine. Whew, man. I was already addicted to heroin at that point and realized that they were right. I did really like this new drug. So then my addiction to crack began. After realizing and feeling that withdrawals from heroin get worse every time you use and realizing that the withdrawals felt worse than how I felt before using, I decided that I needed help. I needed to somehow stop stop everything altogether. I found a clinic that took me in as a patient and got on Suboxone. The thing is, that particular clinic was very obviously there for money and not to help patients. I just want to say um, Suboxone is a medication used to help people stop using, um, in case you, y'all don't know. Uh, you could probably deduce that from the context, but okay. Um, there were a couple times where I couldn't get my meds on time and I began to feel anxious because the people who worked there were not kind to me. In fact, they were pretty mean. I even had a personal coach that I was supposedly able to contact at any time for help, but when I would contact them, they wouldn't respond. So I found myself relapsing over and over and over again. Quitting took several tries, but eventually I got into a much better clinic, and since February 24th, 2021, was able to stay clean from heroin. I will also say that during the time of my addiction to those drugs, I was also in a very unhealthy, abusive relationship with that person. I have to admit that it was abusive back and forth, like it was both of our faults, but I did realize that being around them made me act like the worst version of myself. We were on and off for about three years. I would either disappear slash ghost them when I realized I felt so dysregulated in the relationship, or I would actually tell them I need space and I would leave. But they would love bomb me and come to my house, dropping off presents and letters, begging for me back. I now know that I was also addicted to this person. I went back to them countless times and I actually had to think about them slash our relationship as a drug in order to stay away. I went almost two years without using crack, but this past January, I had an existential crisis on my birthday, went back to my ex, and relapsed on that drug. Though I am not proud of my relapse, I can be grateful that I did not pull myself back into addiction, and honestly, I think I almost needed that last relapse in order to remind me of how much I love being sober, of how much I appreciate my sober life. I fully believe that was my last relapse that I will have. Something in me has changed, and I can feel and I can feel that, though I know I will have cravings every now and then. I can and will say no, because I know where addiction takes me, and it's not a pretty place. I absolutely consider my addiction to those drugs as my rock bottom, as I've truly never been lower in my entire life. I even put myself in very dangerous situations just to go get one Oh, just to go get one of those drugs. So I'm very grateful that I'm still alive and not hurt after all that I put myself through. I will also say that I became a cigarette smoker during that time of my addiction. 
and began using a nicotine vape as well. Thankfully, I was able to quit cigarettes, but I do think it's because I never quit vaping. I still unfortunately vape today. But this is really where I think the connection to autism comes in. Well, I do think that learning about the fact that I have autism has made it possible for me to stay sober because I have since been way more gentle and compassionate with myself and I know that the way I treat myself today fills that hole that I felt inside me for so long. I no longer feel that hole, so I am so grateful. I'm going back to vaping. Oh, but going back to vaping, the addiction I have to it and autism because people with autism generally stim. I have come to believe that I am using vaping as a stim. And going back to my addiction to hard drugs, I really believe I can relate that that sorry. I I really believe I can relate that to autism as well. Like I said, I didn't know that I have autism when I was in active addiction. So not only was I unaware of something that causes struggles in my life, but because I was unaware of my autism, I wasn't dealing with the signs, nor did I know how to calm myself or to find solutions for the various things that come with my autism. So naturally, it just makes sense that a drug that makes you feel bliss and calms you down would be something that I became addicted to. I think that autistic people are prone to addiction because of various reasons. I already mentioned stimming and how a drug slash substance could fill that need, but also if you don't know that you need to stim, again, wouldn't it make sense that we would subconsciously find something to fill that need? Also, the stigma around autism is absolutely horrible and ugly. The way people see us is just downright mean and inhumane. If we were treated like we're less than human when we're out in the world, and especially if we're treated like that at home as well, wouldn't it just make sense that we would find a substance to use that makes us feel bliss? Because we don't want to feel the pain of the world and ourselves, believing we're less than human. I personally don't know how to quit vaping nicotine, as I've been trying for two years and I've tried so many different approaches. Recently, I've been using two nicotine patches, as my addiction doctor prescribed it to me, but it still feels like it's not enough. At this point, I'm not sure if it's really the nicotine I'm addicted to or if it's the hand-to-mouth action that makes me addicted, but I will not give up trying to quit because it's not something I want to continue doing. I want to be the best version of myself, and that includes getting off of vaping. Thank you so much for reading my story, and I hope it gets to be shared with your listeners. I know you said you'd keep these anonymous, but if you feel comfortable, I would actually really appreciate you giving me a shout out for my podcast that I just started. I do feel comfortable doing that, so let's do that. It's called Heart Healers, and it's on Spotify. My name is Brandy, they slash she, and I'm the host. My podcast is about healing for neurodivergent people, as of course, I am neurodivergent myself, and specifically autistic, as you know. One of my special interests is mental wellness, so I've done a ton of research in the past two years about how to simply just feel better holistically. I do hope you share my podcast as I believe it might be helpful, oh, might be able to help others feel more comfortable and safe in our bodies. It's a passion of mine to share info that I've learned and to help others. Either way, thank you again for reading, for your time, and for your consideration, and thank you so much for your podcast. I love listening every time a new episode comes out. I will continue to be a dedicated listener and will always support you from afar. Thank you so much again, and I hope you have the most wonderful day, Brandy podcast, Heart Healers on Spotify. So check out Brandy's podcast, and holy moly, 
whew, I'm like taking off my sweater because that story, whew, that was, made me sweat a little bit. That was um very harrowing tale, Brandy. My goodness, thank you for sharing all of that with us. Wow, and some of the parallels that went between all three of those emails, you know, the the using substances to sort of calm down those uncomfortable feelings like we heard in the first email and and Brandy's experience as well. And then, you know, the addiction to a person, which, you know, I haven't really thought a lot about, but that's really kind of piqued my interest in that topic. Because uh, I feel like, yeah, you can definitely get addicted to a person. Uh, relationships, especially new relationships, can activate a lot of chemicals in your brain, you know. And uh, that can absolutely be an addiction. Wow, I feel like so many of us probably have these same stories. You know, I relate to several different parts of what all three of these people shared. You know, I did an episode on substance use um, from my own perspective a while back, um, how I used to use substances to, I didn't realize it at the time, but um, as a way to sort of like socially perform at the level that I couldn't do on my own without any substances in my body. So for me, it was was more for social purposes. I never craved it when I was alone, just because when I'm alone, I'm comfortable. Uh, and, you know, I also did an episode on all my my struggles with food and issues with, with that. I never had anorexia or bulimia, but I do have uh, some pretty pretty bad, um, disordered eating habits and thoughts and behaviors, uh, that pop up still from time to time that I'm healing from. And, uh, yeah. And as far as the addiction to people, um, yeah. I mean, like I said, I I do feel like I've, I've felt a little bit of that in the past as well. So all, all common threads and, and all things that I think that many of us as autistic and neurodivergent people, uh, can probably relate to. And, uh, I hope that those of you out there listening haven't had, um, terrible struggles with addiction, but I feel like, um, a lot of us are prone, you know, I would, I would, I need to do some research on this now, I think, because I would love to see, you know, I doubt real, um, credible studies have been done on this. It's just because people don't study autism in the way that they should, but, and even ADHD, you know, ADHD, has that lack of dopamine and the, um, dysregulation that comes from that. And I know, um, I, I do know that there is a link between a proven link between ADHD and substance use, but I'm not sure if there's been that study done with autism. I would be curious to know if anyone has any studies or any information about that kind of thing, shoot it my way. As always, I'll leave my email address in the show notes and, uh, yeah, I really appreciate um, every listener who sent in a story, and um, I'm sorry I couldn't read everyone's, <laughs> um, and I'm curious to know how you guys like these listener stories episodes. If you guys enjoyed this one, let me know, uh, and I will keep doing them. Um, if you didn't enjoy it, maybe also let me know and let me know why. <laughs> um, Uh, but I just felt like it was kind of a cool way to incorporate some of the listeners and get some perspectives of some other autistic people because, 
you know, we all have different stories, but somehow we all have the same stories at the same time. You know what I mean? It's like, we're all so different, but we're all so the same. It's crazy. So, um, anyway, um, oh, also if you're on Spotify there, they now have a little box where you can leave feedback. So if you want to leave feedback right there, if you're listening on Spotify, you just sort of like scroll up and, where it says like Q&A and you can like push click on a button to like submit your thoughts about an episode or something if you do that it'll come to me like Spotify will notify me that someone left a comment on my episode so if you want to comment on this episode go ahead and do that there on Spotify um follow on Instagram I'll put all the links and all the things uh in the show notes as usual you can join the Patreon join us on Patreon five dollars a month and you get bonus episodes oh I just started recently doing on the Patreon changed it up a little bit um each month I'm doing a bonus episode with Gray on the Patreon bonus episodes so last month Gray and I uh talked about um our respective relationships with food we both have a lot of weird stuff surrounding like food and you know as neurodivergent people how those particular um issues are kind of like encouraged or spurred on by the way we the way we think and feel as autistic and ADHD people um so that episode was last month this month um I'm not sure what we're talking about yet the Patreons get to vote every month on what Gray and I will be discussing so it's kind of a cool little twist I thought I would make the Patreon bonus episodes a little bit different from the regular episodes so if you want to hear from me and Gray every month uh, hop on over to the Patreon and join. Um, yeah. Okay. I think that's it. I'm going to get going. That was a lot of talking. This episode's a little bit long, but I'm sure you guys don't mind. It was a good one. I hope you all enjoyed it and, uh, I'll talk to you all next time. Okay. Bye.